excuse me, trying to take care of technology. (laughs) Numbers chapter 17. I appreciated so much that passage of scripture that was read from Ezekiel chapter 37. A portion of it's on the bulletin. I appreciate what we read in the book of Jonah. Salvation is of the Lord. And throughout the scriptures, we find that God tells us how he saves his people from their sins. He is in charge. He is the Savior. On the back of the bulletin is my third article. (laughs) In 35 years, I've written three articles. I'm not a writer. It's devastating to me to have to sit down and write. But I did have a reason for writing this letter. It's going to be delivered to a friend of mine that I've been visiting with for a couple of years. The last time I visited with him, in the very close of our time, he shared this. Now, I believe he did it somewhat like we heard this morning. There in the book of Luke, they feigned or feigned (laughs) friendship. He said, Norm... I'm lost. I want you to tell me how to be saved. And I said, I have been. (laughs) I have been. The gospel, God uses only the gospel to save his people. And there is no how-to about it. He says, what must I do to be saved? And I said, that is a common religious reaction. What you must do. There is no what you must do. Pharisees asked Jesus, said, what must we do to do the works of God? And the Lord Jesus responded by saying, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. Now that belief is not ours. The moment we think that it's ours, we are in trouble. But when it is a gift of God and we are believing because God has worked a work of grace in us, then it can be effectual. Well, you pray that this letter might find some room in this man's life. I love him. He's 40 years old. (laughs) He's like a child of mine in many ways. Well, our lesson today, Numbers chapter 17, goes right along with it. We find Numbers chapter 17 in the Hebrew Bible, it is a continuation of chapter 16. There is no chapter break in the Hebrew Bible. And probably for good reason, because in chapter 16, we have Korah and that uprising, and the Lord making comments about how he does his business. And then he steps right into this passage of scripture, and he says, all right, I'm going to straighten this mess out once and for all. I'm going to quit your murmurings. Because I am going to demonstrate whom I have chose. Now that is a theme that that runs throughout the scriptures. God has business. And his business is saving his people from their sins. And as we heard this morning there in the book of Acts, all of those things that happened to the Lord Jesus were prescribed in the covenant of grace. A demonstration of every nationality, people, and tongue rose up against God rose up against Christ and had him crucified. That's what natural man will do with the Son of God. They had done it with all the prophets. They attempted with Moses a number of times, and thanks be unto God, God protected him. They would have killed him outright. 
And he was a minister of the gospel. He was a preacher of righteousness. And he was man's, or excuse me, God's chosen person for the responsibility laid out there. He was God's man. And they rose up against him. We find out how often that people, natural people, religious people, people who were Israelites, rose up against the prophets that the Lord sent against them and spoke to them and preached to them. And many of them lost their lives as a result of it. But they were faithful unto death. Well, here in this chapter, we find in these 13 verses, the Lord is going to share with the children of Israel that had just come up against Moses and against Aaron and said, you have killed the Lord's people. Not realizing, not even thinking about, or trying to hide it, maybe, that it was God that opened up the earth, and it was God that swallowed them up, and it was God that closed the earth up, and it was God that shifted it out. Well, in this chapter, chapter 17 of the book of, of uh, Numbers, 13 verses long, we have these words recorded that share with us God's purpose of grace. It tells us there, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Now that very word Lord is Jehovah, and that word means a great deal. It means I am in charge. I am God. Now he's sharing with us in that one word as he speaks to Moses and as Moses speaks to the children of Israel that are gathered there, he's sharing with them what we find as a theme from Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 all the way through the last verse of the book of Revelation. I am God and beside me there is none else or no other God. Now, there are many gods, but they have eyes and can't see. They have ears and cannot hear. They have hands and cannot work. But I am God, and I will do all my pleasure. That's what he's telling them here by using this term God, this word Lord, before them. That word Lord, Jehovah, is mentioned throughout the Old Testament. And we come into the New Testament, we find that the first words out of Saul of Tarsus' mouth, after the Lord worked the work of grace, was Lord. He recognized him for somebody he did not know prior to that. Who are you? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Also in this chapter, we're going to notice that God does something that it is just grates the natural man's heart so much, and that is he interferes. <laughs> he interferes. He's going to interfere here. And he is going to interfere by his divine authority. Now, that's, interference from God is really, in the realm of humanity, in the realm of religion, is a noxious word. How dare God interfere with me and my free will? Now, I've heard that for two years. <laughs> and you know what? Before that, I practiced it. Before the Lord saved me, I practiced it. How, God, how dare God interfere? He has given us a free will, and he's not going to interfere. Well, we find out that if he does not interfere, we will be in the place of eternal punishment, and that's what those are on the left-hand side. He did not interfere with them. Those he interferes with are his children. Those he interferes with are his lost sheep. Those he interferes with 
is the church. Those that he interferes with are those whose names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. He has promised in the covenant of grace to interfere in their lives, to come into their lives and make them miserable, if you please. <laughs> because he's going to interfere. And that's what he does in this passage of Scripture. We find him interfering. He says, I am going to choose this day whom I have chosen. And that is a statement that resounds throughout the scriptures, whom I have chosen. In this second verse of the fifth or 17th chapter of the book of Numbers, speak unto the children of Israel and take every one of them a rod. Now this is a walking stick. The farther I go along, the more attractive that looks. <laughs> I see people using them, and it's for a good reason. Well, these people were accustomed to having a walking stick. And it says here, Take to every one of them a rod or walking stick, according to the house of their fathers, of all their princes, according to the house of their fathers, twelve rods, write thou every man's name upon his rod. So the Lord says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to demonstrate whom I have chosen. And you're going to take a representative from every tribe is going to bring a rod, a dry, dead stick that you have been using. It has been cut off from its source. It has been cut off from its tree. It has been dead. It is something that you walk with. Now, my dad's favorite walking stick was an apple limb and it was the old suckers that came up. They were so straight. And they get about this big around. And he'll go along and cut them off the branch. And cut the leaves off the top. And lay them up and let them dry out. And they became walking sticks for us. Because he never owned a horse. He used his kids to herd his cattle. And that was our defense. <laughs> it wasn't you couldn't outrun them. It is you have something in your hands to defend yourself. Those old dry apple limbs were... Uh, you couldn't break them. They were stiff. And that apple was just the kind of limb that you needed. Now a willow would break. And you didn't want that hurting cattle. You wanted something that would be substantial. Well, I can just see these folks out here walking through the wilderness. And they had their walking stick. And God said, there's 12 tribes of you. And I want a walking stick stick from every tribe. And I want the name on every walking stick. Because I don't want anybody to make a mistake when they, this test is over with. You're not going to switch your papers. I remember a teacher one time that gave a test and somebody came in late and he came up to turn his paper in and he said, you can't turn it in, you came in late. He says, do you know my name? He says, no. He says, good. And he lifted it up and stuck him in the middle and walked out. You're not going to trade papers on me. God is not going to allow you to trade papers. Not going to allow you to trade sticks. All right, it goes on to tell us here, and thou shalt write Aaron's name. Now, it took me a while, but you know we're going to have 12 sticks and Aaron's sticks. There's going to be 13 sticks put into that place where this depository is going to be for one night. Aaron's name is on one of them. You know, Joseph had two sons, and the Lord was gracious to Joseph and helped pay him for all the time he spent down in Egypt by giving double portion to him. He had two sons, and both of them got to inherit just like all the rest of them. 
There is no tribe of Joseph. There is two tribes of Joseph's sons. Now, the 13th one is going to be, and you know, what do we think about 13? <laughs> what foolishness. What foolishness. Aaron is going to write his name on that stick, his stick, and it will represent Levi. Now, Levi, the tribe of Levi, is not going to inherit when they get to the promised land. There's no property for them as a big chunk of land. They're going to inherit some cities, some towns. That's all they're going to have. They're going to be taken care of by God. All right, thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi, and one rod shall represent every tribe. Now, verse 4, it tells us, and thou shalt put, lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation. All right? We're going to carry these over, a bundle of dry, dead sticks. There's not a whit of life in them. They have been cut off. They brought them out of Egypt. They've been cut off from their source. They're dead, dead, dead. As the old preacher said, they're graveyard dead. There is no discussion about how dead they are. They are dead. Now, this is a tremendous statement about God and who he deals with when he saves people. They are not attached to the source. There is no life in them. They are dead in trespasses and sin. I like what Augustus Toplady wrote one time. Whilst thou art unconverted, thy body is but, living, is but the living coffin of a dead soul. Our body is nothing but a living coffin of a dead soul. We're dead. We have no ability of responding to God. Now, we respond to religion quite easily, but we have no ability given to us in our natural birth to ever respond to God. That's why the most freeing issue that was ever revealed to me, and I was just after I started pastoring here, and I wrote it in that letter, Going down the freeway one day, it struck me that Jonah's words out of the belly of that great fish is my mantra. Salvation is of the Lord. It's the most freeing thing in the world to realize that a pastor is not responsible for winning anybody to Christ. It's the responsibility of a pastor. It's your responsibility and my responsibility to share the gospel, to shed, spread the word. That's it. Results are up to God. How, how freeing that is to realize how, how guilt is removed. And no longer we, we don't have to worry about, did we get the job done today? In that article I wrote, that letter I wrote in the back of that bulletin, I was in a church one time in religion, and that old man came to me and said that preaching the gospel is like being a used car salesman. You've got to... Declare your product and all of the good points about your product, and then you've got to close the deal. And he said, Norm, you didn't close the deal today. I felt guilty that I didn't close the deal, and then I found out there is no closing the deal. If we are the responsible party, we're the midwife, we're the one that brought them into life, they're going to die just like they are. And we will too. We, have, we, we can't give them life. The only thing we have is the glorious truth about a God that can save and does save and will save and forever save his people. 
That's what we're going to learn in this chapter of Scripture. All right, let's take those 13 dead, dry. What did we read there in Ezekiel 37 this morning? Dry bones. Nothing left on them. There was no sinew, there was no muscle, there was nothing left on those dry bones. Okay, let's take these and set them aside in the tabernacle. And in verse 5 of our reading, it says, And it shall come to pass that the man's rod, whom I shall choose, shall blossom, and I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against me. This is a demonstration. God said, I'm going to cause this to be the ceasings of murmurings against me. Well, it's not very long a natural man continues to murmur against God. I've never read numbers through like I've read numbers through. I would pick out you know, the, the wonderful historical things that happened in Numbers. And I never put it together in a logical sequence and found out, oh my goodness, from beginning to end, it is a book of rebellion and God saving his people. Well, let's look here. In verse 6, Moses spake unto the children of Israel, every one of their princes gave them a rod, him a rod apiece for each prince, one of the according to the father's houses, even twelve rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Put those thirteen in. What kind of place? It was a secure place. It was a secret area. Who got to go in there? Most people had never seen the inside of this place, even the holy place. It was a lonely place. Once a day, someone went in there and took care of the lamps, but in the holy of holies, it was really lonely because once a year, someone went through that great hanging between the holy, uh, holy, holy place and the holy of holies and went in and sprinkled blood. And it was a holy area. This is going to be God's choice. It's holy. It's a holy choice. The man's rod whom I shall choose. And all this God declares what will be done. How it is to be carried out and where it is to be carried out. Nothing. You know, we don't find a vote. We don't find a consensus. God never asked the people, how are we going to figure this thing out? He never asked for them to sit down and come to a consensus about what they're going to do. There was no majority vote. There was no consensus. It was God's way or no way. And God's carrying out his purpose here. He's carrying out his way here by telling the children of Israel exactly what must be done. Collect those 13 rods, put them in the tabernacle, and let's see God's choice of the matter. Well, I'll make to cease the murmurings. Verse 6. He spake unto them, they brought, they put their Aaron's rod among them. And in verse 7, Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. You know, that's what we do when we say, 
I've shared the gospel. You know, a lot of people have the idea that the gospel is a how-to program. Right. It's how-to. They put words that are not found in John chapter 3. The Lord told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And a lot of people take that another step. Books are written on it. How to be born again. Unscriptural statement right off the dingbat. It is unscriptural to ever say how to be born again. Did you tell your embryonic child that before you had them? No. That's what I keep sharing with this young man. God does something, and it's a miraculous way that he does it. And we can't even decide and decipher and discover how it takes place. It's, it's, a, it's a mystery, and it's a miracle, birth of a child. And you say to me that you have more authority in the spiritual realm than you do in the natural realm? Did you ask your children if they wanted to be born? You know, I had a teacher one time. He said, after my kids go to school, I'm not going to help them anymore. And another teacher says, they didn't ask to be brought into the world. You have some responsibility even in school. Well, that's your decision. I'm going to stay out of that. <laughs> they didn't ask to be born. And here we find, verse 8, came to pass the next day on the morrow, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi. Now notice the description here. We've seen it being carried in. Just in your mind's eye, just notice it went in a dry, dead, old limb. It had been detached on purpose from the living source. It had been made a walking stick. No doubt part of the end has been ground off as it's gone through the dirt and the sand as they walked along. And it has had perspiration on it and all that other stuff. It is for any other purpose. You wouldn't want to lick it. My goodness, what a dirty, filthy piece of wood it was. And yet, when they were put up, God said, I am going to show you whom I will choose. And when we read here in verse 8, God's choice, he says there, there were 12 dry, dead, old walking sticks came out of the tabernacle. 12 came out. In the same state they went in. And one came out in a totally different state than it went in. This one that came out. Notice what it has. And on the morrow Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. And behold the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi. Was budded and brought forth buds and bloom blossoms. And yielded almonds. What God can do with dead bones. What God can do with dead sticks. What God, it is, it is a miracle. We just look at it as an impossibility, and yet with God, it is his normal way of acting. I take dead and make alive. It had budded, it had bloomed, and it had almonds on it. Now we know immediately what kind of stick that was. <laughs> this is an almond limb. Doesn't tell us anything about the rest of them. They might have all been almond limbs. But Moses, verse 9, Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord unto the children of Israel, 
And they looked and took every man his rod. How did they know that? Their names were on it. There was no deception here. It wasn't all mumble-jumble. The name of Benjamin, the name of Judah, the name of each tribe was put on those 12 sticks. And here we have Aaron's of the tribe of Levi with all of this. Aaron's rod was then in verse 10. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony to be kept for a token against the rebels, and thou shalt quiet take away their murmurings for me that they die not. Now would you jump over with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 9 for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 9. In Hebrews chapter 9, we find this, this rod was kept. It was kept up. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Then verily the first covenant. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. How superior the everlasting covenant, the covenant of grace, is to the old covenant. How superior. In that old covenant, there was no mercy. In the everlasting covenant, there is everlasting mercy. In that old covenant, there was no love. In the everlasting covenant, there's everlasting love. In that old covenant, nobody ever got better. And in the new covenant, we have Christ making us a new creation in Christ Jesus. Here in the book of Hebrews, and then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary, for there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and show, of showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant." Now we say, well, that's a nice collection of items, isn't it? <laughs> we got a pot of manna, and we got Aaron's rod that budded, and we got those two tables of stone after God made them the second time. What does all those things represent? Absolute rebellion by Israel. They rebelled because they were not being fed. He gave them manna. They rebelled because they didn't have the right leader, so he gave them Aaron. And they rebelled there at Mount Sinai. He's gone 40 days, and they can't handle it, and so they build him a golden calf. So we have three rebellions mentioned and brought to play here in this Ark of the Covenant, and yet under the Ark of the Covenant, there's the best place to be to put our rebellion is under the blood. Once a year, they come in and covered that up with blood. And the blood of Jesus Christ covers all our sin and rebellion against him. Now, all three of these items were the results of rebellion. So we're going to put them away and keep that away. And then a second reason that 
I found of why God had Aaron's rod put up. Can you imagine Aaron with his rod that budded as he walked along and saying, you fools, look at my rod. You know, you wouldn't think that Aaron would do that, but do you remember what Paul the Apostle wrote there in the book of 2 Corinthians, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations? Paul the Apostle was one that had been giving so much, and the Lord shared with him, unless I should be proud of what God has shared with me, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, Aaron was not going to be given the, uh, the opportunity to practice that. His rod was going to be taken from him. And then thirdly, we find, if God had permitted this rod to be out for all to see, guess what would have happened? What did they do with the brazen serpent? You know, I thought, I thought that it was Moses that destroyed that brazen serpent. But it was Moses that ground that golden calf up, strawed it on the water and make it, made him drink it. And I said, what in the world happened to that brazen serpent? Because I know it was destroyed. 700 years passed. And in the book of 2 Kings chapter 18, Hezekiah comes to, to the throne and he's the one that destroyed it because they were worshiping it. 700 years after it was built in the, in the Sinai travels. The children of Israel had it taken away from them. What would they have done with Aaron's rod that budded? Exactly the same thing. Aren't you thankful that God Almighty takes our idols from us? It mentions that in the book of 1 Thessalonians. You have turned from worshiping dumb idols to the living God. That's what real repentance is. Change, having a change of mind. I grew up in a church and repentance was crying over your sins. You know what? We don't have the tears. And we don't have the time. But His repentance given to us is turning us from our old life to Christ. That is true repentance. Now what can we learn from all this? Well, God does a mighty work. He took dry bones and made them alive. He takes dead in trespasses and sin people and makes them worship the Almighty King, the Lord of glory. In Matthew chapter 11, would you turn there with me to the Matthew chapter 11? Matthew chapter 11, and there in verse 5. What a glorious verse this is. This is the ministry of the Lord. It's not our ministry. Our ministry does not. We cannot make the blind see. We cannot make the deaf hear. We wish we could, don't we? We wish we could talk to our family and just explain it in such a way that they would immediately say, I want that. My youngest brother gave me the most truthful answer 
about religion. He's been baptized three times. He's made several professions of faith. And I visited with him one time. He says, Norm, I just want you to know there is nothing in religion. And I says, no greater statement could be made. There is nothing in religion. There is everything in Christ. All right. Matthew chapter 11, verse 5. Go and verse 4 says, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. Isn't that interesting? Those folks that came over there, they could hear and see something. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, if we take the last one and apply it to the rest of that, we find out he's speaking about spiritual things. He's just not talking about healing one or ten lepers. He's just not talking about giving ears to some person or the, relieving the blindness of a man. He's talking about spiritual things. And this is all in the hands of the Lord. It is like those dead sticks being carried over here to this place and deposited where God intended them to be taught, deposited and him doing a work on one of them and coming out and showing everybody. Now, God has made his choice. How do you know? That you, quote unquote, forgive me, have made the right choice. All of God's people believe God and trust Christ. That's a gift. That is a gift. A friend of mine, that, uh, in fact, I've invited him to come and be our camp speaker. He told his daughter one time, she said, you don't think I'm saved, do you? He says, no, I know you're not. And she says, well, how do you know that? And he says, number one, you've never been a sinner. And number two, you don't believe the report. The Bible is important. Believe the report. That means to believe God, to believe His Word, to trust His Word. And in closing... There's just a thought I want to bring out. It says there that it was going to be a token. That that would be a token put up. You know, this. we find this word, uh, that word is used several times in the Old Testament. And one of them, in Genesis chapter 9, it says, God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make. And the other day, traveling down to Hood River, we got to see it. What is that token? It's the rainbow. That's a token of that covenant that God made with this world. He would never destroy it like He once did. A token. In Isaiah chapter 7, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign, a token. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call His name Emmanuel. What a token. And so, as we look at this, we find that God's business is to save sinners, and He does it. He does it completely. He doesn't have. Uh, he doesn't have his children stillborn. He is the very successful savior, and he did that when he finished it at the cross. He laid down his life, a ransom for many, and at this time. We'd like to picture that. This is embryonic. It's an emblem. It's a token. 
There is not one bit of salvation given to anybody for being baptized or taking the Lord's Supper. It is an emblem. It's a picture. It's a type. It's a shadow. Just like Moses could look at that sacrifice and say, that's a picture of my Savior, but that's not my Savior. My Savior is the Messiah. And if you'd come...